3: Hey there, podcast listener. Have you ever been listening to Wizard and the Bruiser and thought to yourself... I wish I could see just how fat Jake and Holden are
4: in real life. Don't lie, we know all about your weird inside thoughts, listeners. Well, now you can make that dream
3: a reality. Because Whizbrew and Page 7 are going on tour. Austin,
4: Dallas, Milwaukee, Chicago, Minneapolis. D.C., Philly, Brooklyn, San Francisco, L.A. Nowhere is safe from an all-new show we're calling Release the
3: Butthole Cut. Ew. Come join your fellow LPN fans for a night of pop culture chaos that's fun for the whole family. Assuming your family consists of equally broken weirdos
4: in their 30s. It's going to be a blast. Tickets are on sale right now at LastPodcastNetwork.com. Go! Go
3: now! There's VIP
4: meet and greet passes available as
3: well in case you want to get, you know, a little extra close. uh, Especially personal.
4: I legally have to clarify that there is no sexual element involved. I mean, unless, you know. Okay, cheese chick. All right, stop winking, all right, buddy? It's page seven
3: in Wizard and the Bruiser live. Go to lastpodcastnetwork.com for dates and tickets.
4: me a talking cow oh look over there it's a bunch of aliens they're getting into some goof them ups uh hi i don't know how to start this episode i'm a bruiser i'm a talking cow it's an episode on the far side i don't even know what the oh i'm a i'm a, a goldfish playing baseball what a dumb thing to do inside of a fish tank how do you open this episode jake well
3: i was gonna go with my <laughs> one of my favorite classics uh hey look at me everybody i'm a cowboy howdy 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 <laughs> <laughs> as immortalized so in the movie Toy Story two or three, I forget.
4: Yeah, yeah, with the bird dressed up, the vulture <laughs> dressed up as a cow, as a cowboy, talking to the other vultures. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or hey, 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 hey. Oh, hey. that is another classic. The scientist. The entire with the helmet episode on.
3: could be us just saying out loud Far Side strips.
4: I or would be panels, fine with panels, that.
3: not a strip. Distinctly, not a strip. Defiantly, I know, I, not a comic strip.
4: Well, and that is kind of why this intro is so weird and unique. I the the topic itself is so on its in its own lane. Yes, we've had single panel uh uh, comics and then papers before and the, and them funny pages of yours. By the way, if you're listening to this, back in the day, people used to read these things called newspapers, mm. and uh, there was a, a, a there was a page in the newspaper that was just uh, comic strips like Peanuts and Foxtrot and uh, Mother Goose and Grimm and What uh, about Calvin Shoe? and Hobbes. What about Shoe? Remember Shoe? cat How about Ar? It's Kathy. You had all these great ones, but you also did always have a couple of single. But usually there were three or four panels. and They were a strip. Um, you know, setup, punchline, beginning, middle, and end. There were also single panel ones, though, as well. However, Far Side was in its own unique lane for a few reasons, one of which was no recurring characters. We'll talk about that later. It was like just that's, and, I, and I'll get to that in a second too. That's why I loved it so much, I think, because it was pure. Just purely about the joke, purely about the comedy. It didn't rely on anything else. Anything else that you're used to. Garfield loves lasagna and hates Mondays, right? Mm-hmm. It, it didn't rely on any of those cheap, shitty tricks, Garfield. You hear that, Jim? They got they earned it the right way. Gary Larson earned it the right way, Jim. So look at what he's doing for a second uh, before you sell another million dollars in Garfield merchandise. Well, it's an interesting here. You, it's an interesting uh kind of
3: uh uh, uh Uh, juxtaposition you're making between uh two of these 90s comic strip titans because jim davis made garfield explicitly as a marketing juggernaut he wanted the most relatable most licensable character that could become movies tv shows handbags toys whatever gary larson made the far side almost out of just like a defiant will to like he had to draw these little gags But could not be fucked to make it anything commercial. And despite that, almost like because of his weird, like just just self inwardly logic world of his cartoons, it became this semi juggernaut all in its own books, calendars, coffee mugs, T-shirts.
4: Boy, get more into the gush in a second. That day calendar though, I got one every single Christmas. Mm-hmm. It was such a staple of my life all through like middle school, high school, even after he retired. Uh this the the panel the they comic. They
3: still make it. You can buy a 2023 and a 2024 far side page a day calendar yeah almost in defiance of like the entire point of the for like the format does it should not exist in a world of smartphones anymore yeah but like the 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 ritual of like waking up tearing the page and reading a new far side comic was yeah. so powerful that it's kept the very existence of this m- bizarre media consumption at, uh, avenue possible.
4: But for me, it really, really just clicks so well with my comedy in multiple ways. As I was saying about the single panel thing, even the other single panel comics, it was Dennis the Menace and Family Circus and uh, the Longhorns, Heathcliff. And Marmaduke. So it's always the same character, set of characters you're working with. And there's always, you know, there's familiarity. Whereas Gary Larson, every single time, I mean, he had go-to's, hell, a farm, a farm, You know, cavemen, cavemen, middle, kind of like that sort of Midwest kind of chubby. You can just uh, say uh, ugly potato peep,
3: ugly potato (laughs) Americans.
4: There was there was a definitely reoccurring issue. For the most part, it, it had no like ties in terms of reoccurring characters or anything like that. And that came at a time when I was getting really into comedy and I was all about getting away from reoccurring characters. I hated that in sketch comedy. I obviously loved it in comic strips like I was a big Calvin the F- Hobbes fan. I might have read a Garfield book or two. I don't even know what's <laughs> going on. But I I definitely uh was drawn though also to just like the purity of the far side in terms of it just it we are uh, we are here for a singular hilarious oftentimes hilarious joke that gets in and out. It's it's the comedy economy of words mm-hmm. style like perfectly edited, perfectly refined. And there was something about that that just got my dick and balls screaming. Well, I,
3: I think we're talking about, I think uh, one of the things that when we talked about this, uh, you know, when we were getting into the subject, uh, especially during the Sunday study session, go to patreon.com and find oh out how God, you can join a it. weekly stream with me and Holden as we begin our week's research together. Um, I think a huge part of it is you know, you're buying the collections at the Scholastic Book Club. Your friends have it on their shelves. Hell, maybe your friend's parents have it on a shelf. And it's like more than just like a bitter couple that doesn't want to get married. It's more than uh, a wacky animal. There's something like where uh, one that I think about a lot is like the one scientist working on a ballistic missile uh, trying to like hammer a nail into it. And there's another scientist with an inflated paper bag ready to pop it right behind him. And like, there's so much death yeah. and chaos that is about to happen, and there's like about to be so much death and violence just slightly off 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 the page, but already just painting a picture in your imagination that it's like for at least me and you, I think it was like as close to baby's first black comedy as possible. Yeah.
4: And to the point where I was even about to add, I I wanted to add on to that. I don't think I realized at the time that I was drawn to it for that reason. But now looking back, hell yeah, I was drawn to it for its darker themes (laughs) and tones. And it just seemed to go, you know, Sega does what Nintendo don't in a lot of ways. Like it was just set itself apart from the other comic strips and single panel comics because it had that ability to like get really macabre Mm -hmm. and and you know because and he could get away with it a lot of times just merely by replacing uh, you know, people with animals and stuff like that, you know, and, and we just sort of get away. But also, I think he kind of mentions in interviews. He's like, a lot of people weren't really into that. You know what I mean? Like, I had my he had his audience, and I was his audience for sure. But there were also other people who were like, "What the fuck?" Oh, <laughs> which absolutely. is great. Of course, so of course, I was drawn to that so hugely. Back I mean, then. the co- I mean, you know, obviously, he didn't imbue this.
3: Uh, it, it's it's not like. Fully textual, but like, yeah. if when and when we get into his life, when we get into like uh, what he cared about when he wasn't drawing, like, there's a genuine disdain for humanity that is dripping off the page a lot of times. Yeah. Um, whether it's the fact that he's just populated his world with these like oblivious, ugly potato Americans just constantly behaving in like idiotic and selfish ways, mm-hmm. just the fact that like he humanizes animals so much. Uh, The fact that he draws just, like, children and families in direct harm's way a lot of times. Um, It definitely stood as a counter to the kind of off shucks Americana that we usually associate with the comic book page. Uh, The the funny pages in your standard American newspaper. It really Mm -hmm. was, like, this incredible thing uh, that truly stood out, especially day after day, amongst stuff like, uh, you know... Hagar the Horrible and old Blondie cartoons, uh, and then on top of that, there's the absurdism, there's the surrealism, where some days uh, you would pick up the Far Side and you would have to sit there and actually think, wait, what's the joke here for a second? Yeah, as epitomized in the famous one, uh, cow tools, which we will talk about,
4: but we'll get into it. Uh, well, and 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 that gets us into how Far Side. Really, too. Farside was the proto meme. Mm. Oh, a lot in of terms of thought. a sticky image that would appear everywhere. Yeah, and and, and accidentally, especially, is the proto like Gen Z comedy meme, mm. right? And that really was eye-opening, uh, getting into that, especially knowing that Gary Larson was like, what's this here newfangled internet? Because the internet happened after he retired, just mm-hmm. to give you some sense of timeline here. I mean, this he was pre-internet age, and wrestled with that a lot, because of course, there's a lot of people posting his work and stuff and dealing with that, and then him being a, finally, and we'll get more into it later, but actually embracing this whole thing and getting a website going, and actually, I don't know who uh, holy shit, I'm here to inform you, putting out some new shit for the first time in two and a half decades, mm-hmm. which is insane. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that I think that th- this work. I feel like people are just starting to talk about the far side again. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's just me in my head, but I was reminded of this because other people on other podcasts started talking about the far side again. Mm. And, um, I just want to say in doing this research, if you've never delved into the far side or you haven't in a really long time, it so holds up. It is such strong, solid, smart writing. And, it is so well formed and so and and you just if you go back to a lot of comics they so don't hold up and I think Gary Larson did a lot of things that I really respect he reminds me of folks like uh, Bill Waters and J D Salinger he he got in he did incredible work had an amazing run knew exactly when to get out it wasn't about the fame it wasn't about the merch he he's he lives comfortably he lives pretty modestly and that's and just and really is outside of public life maybe it's just because we just did chainsaw man but he actually reminds me of a mangaka in a lot of mm. ways hilariously enough i mean
3: the the american serialized cartoonist is as close to a mangaka as we got usually yeah exactly i think the reason why there is a bit of wistful nostalgia is that like the newspaper comic strip is well and truly dead. Like there is not. Yeah, it's over. You can still find like single panel relatable comics on Instagram. You can still find like webtoons artists uh who do, you know, serialized manga style stories all over the internet. Uh but the but the idea that there's this lump of wood of paper pulp that just lands on your parents' doorstep and amongst all the news of uh, economic turmoil and international war and boring political bullshit, there was just this, like, fun, uh, sometimes colorful, uh, kind of just, like, entertaining world to just dive into. Is an experience that, like, after hundreds of years of American publication history, uh, kind of is, like, truly dead and gone, and now we're the survivors left to be, like, oh, yeah, that was an incredibly important part of my like daily routine.
4: Yeah. It it feels weird to have to explain this, but Monday through Saturday, the funny pages page was in black and white and very simple. It was like one page, but man, I absolutely it was such a fundamental part of my childhood. I looked forward to Sunday. Part of like what was great about Mm -hmm. Sunday, definitely wasn't church. Mm -hmm. It was that it was going through the big Sunday funny pages stuff. Was all in color. It was like this event that no longer exists for anybody. Really, unless you're really old, you're pretty much dead. Mm-hmm. If you're still getting a newspaper and that's like your life, you know what I mean? You're kind <laughs> of dead. You're like dying and I'm sorry, dude. And I hope you go out surrounded by your loved ones. Um, but I want you to remember some of that shit you did bad too, dude. I want you to remember some of that stuff, some of those people you wronged on your way out as well. All right, I'm just going to throw it out there. But for for us, it's that is that tradition is gone. And that was a family thing. Like we'd, we'd get up, have breakfast, Everybody be reading different parts of the paper, you know it was it was such a big, weird like tradition, and the comic strips was so fundamental and then on top of that, I had all of the collections going to the bookstore and going to the comedy section of the bookstore and the comic section of the bookstore, and I had scrolling through all of the different far side collections. you had the smaller ones really good like bathroom readers. Mm -hmm. You had the big chunky fat ones, the galleries with the color galleries. I had most of them. And I think I'm probably going to go and get the, they have the complete far side in hardback and in paperback editions. I think I'm going to pick it up now because I need that on my shelf for sure. Alongside my Calvin and Hobbes complete collection. Right. And, uh, it, w- it be, And back then, though, the-, the joy of going to the bookstore and picking up one of those big collections. And, st- and it's such a funny thing now because I got one of them on my tablet and just f- page, page, page. It really reminds me, as I was doing it, I was like, oh, this is what I, I replaced, like, scrolling Instagram and Twitter. With- mm-hmm. I- that is what replaced this. No. But it was, I used to I mean, sit there oh, and just... there was
3: nothing better... On the in if, you, if it was the mid 90s and you were on the toilet and there was a far side collection there, the oh, best. perfect, perfect. The best. I was on yeah. the plane because we're st- still, as of recording, we are still doing the uh, 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 release the butthole cut tour,
4: yeah. And I was like,
3: Well, I have this, uh, the internet archive has a like online library that you can borrow books from, and so I had uh, the far side collection uh, on there on my tablet, and I was like, I'll pick out some, like, choice ones that I'm, like, that'll, you know, and I could make it, like, through two pages of 1993, and they were just, like, all bangers. They were all just so fucking funny, and precise, and hilarious, and tons of stuff from just out of left field. It was just so, I was just in awe. I was genuinely in awe of, like, this was all done by a guy sitting at his desk with a repeatograph technical pen, and, like, This wasn't done for clicks. This wasn't done to make an algorithm happy. These were actual just gags that he found funny and shared with the world. And it was like, I I just found it so just exhilarating reading this yeah. obviously the guy next to me on the plane was like could you stop gasping in reverent <laughs> awe for five fucking <laughs> seconds bro
4: <laughs> so annoying I hate when you do that it's so annoying bro because <laughs> you make a weird gasp noise I well, don't even understand well here's
3: the thing uh, I think what really got him is that I kept like sh- t- taking off my glasses with my hand shaking and then like it <laughs> rattled as I put it on the tray table that was like He's eight slumped. times
4: I did that in a row I was like what are you trying to do fucking stop a you know stop a rocket ship from hitting the moon or something like that? He's like, could you stop muttering the words,
3: my God.
0: (laughs) (laughs) BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or.
4: Uh, All right, well, let's get into it. I think we've gotten through some generalities, the gush, all that good stuff. The Far Side, of course, a single-panel comic created by Gary Larson, syndicated by uh, Chronicle Features and later Universal Press Syndicate. The comic, uh, the the panel, ran from 1980 to 1995. In its time, it was carried by more than 1,900 uh, papers and was translated into 17 languages. In July of 2020, Larson began drawing news strips via his own website after a 25-year hiatus. We'll get into it, but first, let's start with the birth of the man. That's right. He wasn't born a boy. He was born a man. He was the first human baby man born in 1950 in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, His house was a giant steel uh, uh, recreation of the Hindenburg. Mm -hmm. Uh, And while there, his father was a used car salesman, and his mother was a secretary. Larson said, I did read comics when I was little, and of course, I was influenced by my adolescence, by Mad Magazine, particularly Don Martin, but I didn't read newspaper comics until I became a cartoonist. I still don't do it very frequently. If I went to read cartoons, I'll usually look at a New Yorker. He was really into the Adam's family uh, for for instance and that was a single panel as well so probably drew a lot of inspiration accidentally from that Oh
3: no, the New Yorker yeah. thing makes total sense cuz in the uh right. in, in one of the many intro sections in the complete far side uh, he talks about how uh, he recalls the moment when he was at the meeting with the San Francisco Chronicle and his soon to be editor was pushing him to change to from a single panel to a more standard three panel strip. And he was like, I don't, I never read those growing up. He says, uh, my primary influences had been uh, Gahan Wilson and B. Klibben, uh, who are two like world famous single panel cartoonists. Um, along full of, with a handful of others, including George Booth, Edward Gorey, and the indisputable Charles An- uh, Charles Adams, exactly as you said. So, like, his primary humor influence already was single-panel cartoons. Yeah. And ones with, I'd say, a little bit more of a darker, more sophisticated sense of humor. Uh, Gahan Wilson and uh, Edward Gorey and Charles Adams all had, like, a little bit of a nastier streak in them than your standard, yeah. like, guy at a therapist's office being like... But what if uh, my, what if I need to regress? to my childhood and uh, kiss my mommy or something. I don't know.
4: Yeah, Adam's Family is one that I really didn't think about going into this, and when you actually take a second, you go, oh, yeah, it's not just a single panel. It is the dark nature of the work. All of it just clearly feeds in, obviously, reoccurring characters in Adam's Family, but besides that, and check out, if, you, if you're if you like, what? Adam's Family was a single panel cartoon in the mm-hmm. uh, comic in The New Yorker? Uh, hell, yeah, it well, was. Check out our Adam's Family episode uh, way, way back when, but regardless... He uh I th- I really do think a big theme here for him and it kind of reminds me again I hate to bring up chainsaw man twice but it kind of reminds me of that mangaka as well um and that it seems like it's almost his lack of formal education in in the in the work his lack of an actual knowledge of how paper newspaper syndications work mm-hmm. all this stuff actually was a benefit to him because it was like ignorance is bliss it allowed him to bring in some really unique Interesting stuff that immediately jumped out at the people who who ended up buying it. Like we'll get to that eventually, but also like I I wonder if he would have even pursued it if he understood how the business worked or anything like that. So
3: this is another thing he talks about in this very same piece from the uh, complete Farside is that uh, he says he was always in awe of comic strips. He was like, how do these guys do it? Uh, he was consistently enjoying the work of uh, his contemporaries like Berkeley Breathed from Bloom County, Bill Watterson of Calvin and Hobbes, and he could never even like begin to understand how those guys were wired. And he basically blames this on his family. He claims this is how he has justified the trajectory of his career: is that um, a three-panel strip requires like at least some kind of gift of wit of dialogue, of snappy repartee, uh, you know, there's something almost, like, musical about, like, the back and forth yeah. in a uh, Charles Schultz peanut strip, Yeah, there's something, like, kind of uh, brilliant in the timing of a Calvin and Hobbes, and his family was a bunch of just weird kind of just base gorilla people, uh, to the point <laughs> where, like, his interpret humor in his family wasn't like getting a zinger out, it was his dad just jumping from behind a counter in a gorilla mask to the point where he knew that his family kept the gorilla mask hanging on a hook in the <laughs> closet because it was busted out so often. And that the difference between one's own personal sense of humor and one having a wit, so to speak, this is all. Gary Larson's words is the difference between a sense of humor meant for the benefit of others and a sense mm. of humor built from you, just your own psyche and survival. Yeah. And so love it. he says that like, just with his upbringing, he had no choice but to be a single panel cartoonist.
4: Uh, Hell yeah, absolutely. He also always had a major interest in animals as a child and collected snakes, lizards and had a monkey and a boa constrictor at one point. With his brother Dan uh, he created swamps in his family's backyard under the encouragement of his father. They also caught a lot of creatures out of the Puget Sound where they lived by and put them in terrariums in the basement. Dan helped him gain also another family member that super helped him gain his morbid sense of humor as he was that older brother that would prank him all the time for example funny prank Gary had a fear of monsters under his bed and in the closets of course Dan would hide in Gary's closet jump out at him at night and even more terrifying so uh, he would trap uh, uh, Gary in the basement and taunt him by saying do you hear it Do you hear it breathing? You know, honestly, though, typical older brother little
3: brother stuff. Specifically, Gary, this scenario is so fucking relatable. Uh, It was that thing that I feel like many suburban kids know, that the light switch to turn off the light in the basement was at, The bottom of the stairs, so you had to turn it off and be in complete darkness and scramble up the steps. The worst. And so, like, his brother would wait for that exact moment as he was terrified in pitch blackness to hold the basement door shut and say, yeah, is it, do you hear it? It's coming. (laughs) Which, that, that malice there's, I think that's one of the things that got uh, the far side so many angry letters, mm-hmm. is because there is a genuine cruelty to a lot of these oh, yeah. comic
4: strips. Another anecdote, Gary would also put two insects in a jar to see which one would survive. So, you know, animals and morbidity, it's <laughs> all coming together now. It's all making sense. The dubious nature of the previous quote seems to be the case in general for Larson. He had no clue. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. That's like, I think I copy, I, I cut and paste this. There was no previous quote. Uh, Larson really had no clue about the comics business as he made his way toward it. Larson said, the only thing I knew was there was some cartoons out there, mostly in magazines that I did like and enjoy and thought were funny. And I was inspired by some of the things I saw by other cartoonists, but I didn't really have too much of a notion about newspapers and newspaper comics. And he attributes this to how we managed to come into it with a panel that was unique and interesting to the syndicates. For college, do you have anything else in his childhood before we get into college? No, that's about all I got. For college, he went into Washington State University in Pullman, uh, but did not pursue a degree in art or biology. Instead, he opted for communications. He thought he was going to be getting a job in advertising after school.
3: He made a go. He made a go for some kind of naturalist career. And then, like, got the shit scared out of him that he was like going to be broke his entire life, and thought communications was the safer route.
4: I resonate with this so hard. I I totally was so foolish about. I was pursued. I pursued like serious acting in college because which is hilarious because like that's like the death when it comes to uh, the the you know the chances of having an actually good career. But for some reason, I thought that's like how the route you had to take, and so you end up doing things you think you should do as opposed to doing things you deep down know you want to do or wish to pursue. And uh, that he definitely did that as well. But while at school, he he pursued his uh, love of music. He played jazz guitar and banjo on the side. And he did take a few figure drawing classes, quote, but my motivations were not artistic. Uh, and so he ends up in Seattle, Uh, After school, after college, he ends up working uh, at a music store, a job he hates. He hates this job so much. And this is what my big mantra for people trying to live a creative life for a living if you want to do that, get a job you hate. <laughs> do not kind of like your job. You cannot kind of like it. You must despise the job. Mm. If you, it, it, it must drive you every waking second you're at it to thinking about how to get out of the job. That's the only way you will make it. I think in a in a creative. I business. gotta say, Holden. Ever since we started
3: uh, on this podcast, my creative output has plummeted. It's it's I just love this podcast game too much. <laughs> when I was a data entry clerk, I felt like I was going to explode with ideas. And now yeah, I'm just yeah, like yeah. I like podcasting. Yuck yuck friend time.
4: It's yeah, yeah, back when, it's when I was bullshit. that flesh when I was that fleshlight tester for a couple <laughs> years there, I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, my, my, you should have seen my genitals, Jake. They were utterly mangled. But <laughs> uh, you were in it for the love of the game. I was in it for the, but that was the thing. I was like, if I don't feel horrific pain in my genital area, I'm not going to wish to pursue <laughs> live streaming on Twitch. And, you know, I'll be too comfortable. I'll be too happy if, uh, you know what I mean? McNeely, you're up on the cock mangler. Why? Why? Why would you invent this? It's not going to make it to market. I think you just create these prototypes to watch my genitals get destroyed in front of your very eyes. Well, you know,
3: we got to learn what not to make in order to, you know, figure out what works. That's not how it works.
4: And that's when I was like, wait, what does make a successful creative person? And then I started doing it was the bruiser. it was a one to one. It was a one-to-one, ladies and gentlemen. So, yeah, he hates this job at this music store. He ends up taking two days off and spends that entire time not fucking around, not relaxing, just sketching out some comics in utter desperation. Larson said, I've been drawing since I was a kid, but I never had any idea I'd end up as a cartoonist. I don't know why, but I drew half a dozen cartoons and took them down to a nature magazine called Pacific Search. They bought all six. I was shocked. And after that, he managed to submit his work to a paper called The Summer News Review for three bucks a cartoon. Uh, and that was a big shock to him as hey, well. I mean, back like, wow, in 1970s money, that's $15 a comic. Still, though, he's like, oh, what? so so it went like from the highest high to lowest low, so I was like, oh, I can't believe this. I could do this for a living. And then, oh, holy shit, that's all you get yeah. for a comic? Uh, oh, I'm fucked. I have to keep working. That sucks. So in order to make ends meet while he's working on the, the, his side gig with the panels, he ends up getting a job at the Humane Society, uh, interestingly enough, investigating complaints of cruelty. Uh, very funny anecdote here. Jake, Do you want? I, I saw you light up. Do you want no, to tell no, the no, tale? No, no, no,
3: you can do this one.
4: He actually ran over a dog on the mm-hmm. way to the job interview. <laughs> Something he did said he did not bring up when he got there. Uh, and said of the event, I recognized some irony in that. <laughs> the dog um, was this, okay. The dog was yeah. okay. He didn't oh, kill good. a dog. I, I assumed he killed the dog. But and also he was like, I've never done that before, my Jew. That's the, literally the only time. It's hilarious that it happened all the way to the I mean, society. the fact
3: that he did work as a Humane Society cruelty investigator Really, again, have to stress, there is a deep disdain for the human race just kind of bubbling throughout
4: his work. For sure. Luckily, he made friends with a reporter at the Seattle Times and got work there with a panel called Nature's Way. Larson said, on that success, I was encouraged about a year later to drive down to San Francisco. and And that's where he dropped off his work at the San Francisco Chronicle. He said, I didn't even know what syndication was. I was just there to see if they were interested in buying the same little weekly thing I was doing for the Times. Eventually, the Chronicle does get back to him, and they do decide to take on his work. And it's crazy timing, because the Seattle Times just had dropped him like right after that. uh, We're just canceled nature's way. And it was the kind of thing that Gary Larson describes as like if the timing on this had been a little differently... I might not have continued yeah. to pursue, like that would have been the gut punch that would have maybe knocked him out of continuing to to really go for this as a career, so it was amazing that it worked out that way uh, uh, eventually the chron- uh, i'm sorry, the panel uh, of course, a bit dark and offensive to some and hilariously they uh, end up uh, Oh, oh. the reason why it got cut from the Seattle Times is of course this panel is kind of dark kind of offensive nature's way is just the far side they just Mm -hmm. renamed it Uh, and hilariously they decided to put that panel right next to the junior jumble Mm. Uh, and this led to a lot of complaints from readers who were like just there to do the jumble and there's this weird very and also at this point very crudely drawn I mean his drawing abilities really improved over time
3: well it's an interesting thing because if you we, we. I want to get into a technical standpoint uh, a lot of larson's earlier work has a lot more i'd say pen mileage on it uh he uses uh like screen tones a lot of cross hatching there's shading mm. the characters are somehow uglier fatter and more misshapen <laughs> than the classic far side style that you uh, know and love but i'd say there's like a little bit more so- actual sophistication in his earlier drawings, whether or not that means that the fact that he did manage to streamline into a simpler style meant that, like, that is an improvement or not, I don't know. But it was interesting looking at his early work and seeing, like, kind of, there was more going on. There was, like, a little bit more attention to anatomy. There was a little bit more mm. attention to... Uh, I, I really must stress, much fatter, much lumpier people. But were there any mangled genitals, Jake? Probably, but it was like implied off panel. There you go. It was his uh, editor, uh, Stan Arnold, at the San Francisco Chronicle, who suggested the name Side as opposed to Nature's yes. Way. Uh, he was also the one that in was trying to sell him on turning it into a full comic strip, giving him all the like kind of reasons that it's easier to... Um, Format for editors uh, at other papers. Once it's syndicated, it's uh, you. If you have recurring characters, that's a more like, uh, for lack of a better word, familiar parasocial uh, interaction. It makes people look forward to the comic more, uh, and if you know, it helps keep readership. If there's like a cast of characters that people can grow to love, and after describe, and this is again according to the uh, intro in the complete Farside. Um, after listening to him describe the virtues of a strip, um, even if it was full of headaches instead of a panel, I didn't say much. Stan, as I recall, wasn't even really looking at me. He was just flipping through my portfolio, talking about the wonders of comic strips while clearly feeling me out about developing one. And I listened, smiling, dying on the inside. Then out of the blue, he said, Well, let's just go ahead and do it your way. And that was the last time a comic strip was ever discussed. I had never felt such a whoosh of relief.
4: Here's Larson's reasoning in his own words for why he was so stuck on the one panel thing. I think very visually, and I think a single panel lends itself to that one instant visual image. Strip cartoons emphasize dialogue, so sometimes the drawing is rather static. The dialogue changes and there's a punchline at the end. I don't think like that. It all kind of comes to me at once, more or less simultaneous. Sometimes a caption will hit me first, but that's rare. Usually it's the image that will come first. This one hideous moment that just lands on me. And uh, he also, yeah, didn't r- really like the reoccurring character thing. He, he he definitely repeated certain tropes and things like that. He loved, of course, especially cows, chickens, that sort of thing, bugs, different, all different animals, but... He said, I instinctively thought of this as very limiting. And I also just didn't see humor as something that had to be confined to one particular character. To me, what was exciting was trying to do something that would crack someone up. And I didn't see how characters or a particular character enhanced that. In fact, I think it would work against it in some cases. A certain face on a character would work in one instance, but not in another. Although, admittedly, as the years went by, all my stuff got boiled down to about six faces. But when I started off, I thought I had to reinvent the wheel every single time I drew someone. And obviously, I was going to hit a wall with that. I love that it's, it boils out to about six faces. But that was the thing, like... His world still was so defined. You didn't need a reoccurring character to bring you back to the world because he drew people a certain way. He drew cows a certain way. You know, it was like we had the. In, it, it, you had an interesting foundation of reoccurrence without needing a named character that we're always following. Garfield, you fucking jack of fuck
3: Plus, the uh, best part of having no named characters is that he was free to. Uh spear, behead, stuff, poison, and run over as many people as he wanted with abandon.
4: Yes, yes. I was just laughing at the... uh the issue uh, uh, the panel with the flower lady reading a book and this her squashed husband is like in the book you know these (laughs) were like flowers and books and it was like Dolores gasp for the last you know a giant gasp so she finally found uh, you know Charles after all these years I mean you just couldn't do that in I mean Calvin and Hobbes actually kind of got away with it a little bit because they could go into imagination land Mm. and do stuff like that but still it's hard to pull off with reoccurring characters and we need we need people I mean, I, I, bet you could, I wonder what the actual numbers are in terms of a, um, how many far side panels involve someone either almost dying or having just died. <laughs> like, I wonder how, I wonder what the actual, uh, stats are on that, but it's a lot. There's a lot of those. I and mean, one of my favorite, one of my favorite panels is, um, they're the cat, the, the goat. And the, it's like these clouds parting and there's a goat in a field. And the two pilots are like, what's a goat doing up here <laughs> in this cloud bank. I mean, in a plane of people, an airplane of people are about to die <laughs> and it's hilarious. You know, I, it's just, uh, it, it just works so well, uh, with it. It wouldn't with, you know, if, if Frank and Nancy were all in every single panel, uh, one of my favorites is, uh, it's just two of his
3: classic, uh, potato people eating breakfast together in a dining room and their dog is just holding a pointing a gun at them. Yes. And the panel just says, Hey, bucko, I'm through begging. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Uh, another death one. The gold- This was one I actually had in my locker, I believe. Or no, maybe it was just at my desk at home uh, as a kid. But it's the goldfish outside of the fishbowl. And the fishbowl's on fire. <laughs> and, and, they just, and they're just they talking to each other. And, just, and the captain's just like, yeah, well, now we're just equally as screwed. <laughs> it's just like, they're about to die the fishbowl. Also, the goldfish playing baseball, I briefly mentioned before. And they hit the baseball like through the glass. So those fish are about to die. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's it's constantly a whole- happening
3: series called Troubles Bruin, where uh, it's just uh, stuff like a uh, two houses, one that says Doreen's Nursery, and next door it says Ed's Dingo Farm, and all the dogs are just like <laughs> pushing against the chain link fence
4: trying to get at I love at the that kids. one. I also love the Skydiver School right next to the Crocodile Zoo. <laughs> and I believe the uh, another one of those is the 12th Annual
3: Teacup Poodle Fanciers Picnic next to the... Falconers Club meeting,
4: <laughs> all with the title "Trouble Brewing." So funny. Why is that? Maybe that makes me laugh so much because harder the than anything in the page. Because the chaos is all in
3: your mind.
4: Yeah, there, it's he all has there. laid
3: the groundwork for an actual bloodbath in the comics page, and yeah. now you, in your mind, has to like make it real, and that feels so subversive and dangerous. Yep. Again, through the context of like a kid on reading a newspaper funny page it felt so much darker and more subversive and intense than anything else
4: it's the older brother fucking with you Mm -hmm. you know it's the it's so nice it's so refreshing and it's and yeah and part of it also is that whole like man they're actually getting away with it (laughs) wow like I can't believe they let this run uh the far side debuted in the Chronicle on January 1st 1980 just one week before Nature's Way was dropped from the Seattle Times and he's off and running after that uh in terms of a approach to creative, uh, in terms of approach to doing this on a regular basis, it is pretty wild. It's a pretty difficult challenge for all cartoonists, all, 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 all those folks that create for the funnies. Larson said this about how he comes up with all those funny ideas. I have two cups of coffee and wait until I become wired. Then I wait for the moments to come and capitalize on them. So I think in a lot of ways, he's saying it's a, it's a patience game. It's, it's about sitting down in front of a blank paper and letting the ideas come, and there's no forcing it. It's literally just putting yourself in the position to have the idea. Because someone even asked, like, after he retired, hey, do you still, you know, have an urge to, like, draw more comics, or, like, do you still have more ideas? And he's like, you know, no, because it was a real practice. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't just, they, I wasn't just like walking around and idea would come to me. It was because I sat down every day in front of that blank sheet of paper and like, and conjured it. it. It can't just like, it doesn't just happen naturally, which I think is so true for any artistic endeavor, especially when it comes to writing, drawing, all that stuff. Um, and definitely one of the one of the big issues he had was consistently pumping something new out to run in the funny pages most days of the week. Larson said, that was a very formidable task in front of me when I first started doing it. How was I going to do this day after day, week after week? And then of course, month after month, year after year. And I thought there was no way I was going to be able to do it, but I wasn't going to tell anyone that. I would just go, into, uh, I would just go until I stopped and I'd say, well, thanks everyone, but I'm done. But as it turns out, the Creative process isn't as linear as that. It didn't keep me from sweating it, even at, to the very end. And I was amazed sometimes when those five or six cartoons got put together and went out in the mall in the mail. It was like, ha! I did it again. I love that idea that it never got, it never became. And I think that's kind of why he one of the reasons why he quit. It was starting to get stale, and it was starting to get repetitive and, and his ideas. He was like, Oh, and it's time to get out because of not having, I'm not like having that feeling of like, wow, I pulled one over. I pulled it off yet again. Incredible. You know? And, and if and, I'm uh, not so we mistaken, he pulled the strip before Bill Watterson pulled his. I believe man, that was some sad shit for me. Yeah. bro. <laughs> when Watterson and Larson got out the game, I was bummed, especially because like, they're still doing Garfield strips. Like, my very favorite strips and and the and and Farsight's case panels were removed. Beetle oh, Bailey is me. still in newspapers. Yeah, Beetle fucking Bailey. I know it's crazy, but the quality was so different. That's why these guys had an endpoint. That the capacity of the the, the level of work. I would say for Calvin and Hobbes and Farside are beyond pretty much everything else. You could definitely make arguments about some other strips, but I personally think those are like the top, like if we were to make a tier list, like we do in our uh, Patreon bonus content, patreon.com forward slash Wisbrew, $5 a month, free bonus episodes every single week. If I were to, we should do a Sunday Funnies tier list, Jake.
3: I believe I did a Sunday Funnies tier list. You can find it on YouTube as Puppet oh, Jared. Oh, cool,
4: for Puppet Jared. Yeah. All right, well, maybe we'll do a Whizbrew branded one. It but took yeah. three
3: hours. So yeah, I think we should try again with the (laughs) expedited timeline.
4: I definitely feel like those are S tier comics and there's not a lot that can be held up with them so i a love that they got out of the game before it got stale and b uh feel like they had to because you can't keep that quality of work up for that long whereas you kind of can copy and paste when it comes to a lot of the strips that are still in the papers the that quote from I was larson
3: that i've been seeing a lot doing research for this was uh That uh, he explained he wanted to end the series to avoid having the far side fall into, quote, the graveyard of mediocre cartoons.
4: He also had this to say about his high standard and his regard for his audience. And I definitely feel like you, you get a sense of his respect for the audience in his work. He said... Whoever was following my work, I was going to try to treat well. I thought of every, uh, I thought of every day as a little curtain going up, and it's showtime, and you better know how to dance. I think it's vital to be honest with yourself. You do have to satisfy yourself first. If you're drawing something, you have to ask yourself if it's something you genuinely think is funny, or is it starting to fall into just a category, just kind of a shtick thing? I think it's important for all cartoonists to be honest with themselves about their own sense of Humor and what they're doing. I also have a quote from my old boss, Re-Raw Jones. Mm-hmm. Man, I loved mangling that guy's genitals. Holden, what a fucking moron. I feel like after the first time he got his genitals mangled, he should have quit easily. But he kept going. He kept saying, No, I need to hate this. I have to hate this in order to be a funny comedian. Fuck that guy! Suck that guy! Uh, one of the things I
3: wanted to bring up, if, uh, especially now that we're talking about his retirement and the fact that he uh, was kind of aware of the market forces that were like that would have been perfectly happy with him churning out mediocre little panels for the rest of his days, is how there was an influx of all these wannabe far sides that filled the comics pages in the intervening years it's an entire genre yeah. in of itself is the quote-unquote wacky single panel uh comic that is uh still running to this day there's uh comic strips like or panels like uh bizarro argyle sweater which is like argyle sweater is like one of the most naked ripoffs of Gary Larson I've ever seen in my life like even the people look alike they have the same like noses eyes dumpy physiques it's like it's 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 so shameless I mean good for this guy for making a living but holy shit non sequitur real life adventures there's like in his absence the like the far side still needed to exist for these syndicates and they just went ahead without him even though he tried to be like all right this this is done they just like I don't know how many retirees like have posted these other comic strips and just said like check out this Farsight. it's real funny.
4: I uh and I do kind of gain a little bit of pleasure in knowing that like they still can't hold a candle mm-hmm. to what made Farsight so good and we were talking about it before we started recording but I really do think that it's very subtle But the way that Gary Larson specifically words his captions, and by the way, I'm not going to seriously say, like, they're not all bangers, okay? You know, I mean, we have, like, the heights of the heights, like the push-pull school for the gifted kid, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. everyone remembers that one. Everyone brings it up. And some of the ones we've already talked about, the the airplane one with the intercom light. Oh God, the fuel lights on. We're all gonna die. We're all gonna die. Oh, wait, never mind. That's the intercom light. Oh, all the passengers my, are with just
3: wide-eyed and terrified. But one of my favorite. Just, one of my favorites. Again, I'm sorry, I have to this is good. I I hope I wish the whole episode could be us just describing <laughs> old Farside Comics. <laughs> the dude who is firing blindly at a werewolf who's about to mangle him. And the caption is, moments before he was ripped to shreds, Edgar vaguely recalled having seen that same obnoxious tie earlier in the day. <laughs> and then there's a thought balloon of a guy wearing the same tie as the werewolf saying, oh, yes, I guarantee
4: these bullets are pure silver. <laughs> <laughs> and that caption you just read was so was a great example of like a perfectly worded caption mm-hmm. that just has exactly gets the effect across the you want. And I just uh, I just don't think anyone can can do it quite as well they can do it for sure but they can't do it quite as well and they'll never be able to reach that therefore the height of success i think that gary larson reached i mean also you don't have syndicated funnies anymore web comics are very different a very different deal um but yeah, uh, Gary Larson's final Farside comic ran in the papers on January 1st, 1995. Larson wrote this on a, his newly resurrected website. The thing is, I thoroughly enjoyed my career as a syndicated cartoonist. And I hope, in spirit at least, we had some laughs together. But after 15 years of meeting deadlines, well, blah, 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 you know the rest. The day after I retired from syndication, it felt good not to draw on a deadline. And after moving on to other interests, drawing just wasn't on my to- today- do list. My man Things loves change. jazz guitar. Played a lot of jazz guitar, which I love. I think that's great. I mean, he's just a nerd, man. That's the, That was the trifecta. I forgot to mention my third part of... It was like... The the single panel thing is so great. Mm-hmm. The no re, or rather and also the no reoccurring characters thing is so great for the for the purity of the comedy. The the um, the darkness is so funny, but he was just a big science jazz nerd. And I deep down, I think more than anything else, that's what I really connected with. I mean, the presence of like aliens,
3: scientists, cavemen, uh, the fact that he just had his own like uh, wannabe John Muir naturalist kind of uh, aesthetics and and moralities on top of that made his strips extremely popular with researchers, with computer programmers, with scientists. He had like, it was a, it was kind of the XKCD of its own time. Like, if the nerd was going to, have something stuck on his wall that he cut from the comics page. It was going to be a Gary Larson strip that
4: was just a little mm-hmm.
3: bit smarter. Yeah. Speaking of smarty smart people Let's, and their you appreciation, the
4: science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we get into the science stuff. Let's get into the science stuff. I mm-hmm. mean, this was
3: a I this was delightful to learn. I didn't even realize this was a thing, but in a famous. Uh, far Side Strip, uh, there was a caveman presenting on a projection screen for other cavemen a diagram of a stegosaurus's spiky tail, and the caption reads, Now this end is called the Thagomizer after the late Thag Simmons. Funny joke. It made you imagine a caveman getting fucking impaled by a stegosaurus tail. <laughs> Horrific, violent, delightful, uh, high class, low class, everything you wanted to strip. And uh, paleontologists shared that comic around and was like, hey, this is pretty funny. At which point they realized they never actually formally named the spiky bit at an end at the end of a Stegosaurus's tail. So they decided to call it the Thagomizer. It is if you are if you are in in a paleontology science forum and you have a great new uh, theorem about how the uh, spiky bit was used for foraging and defense, you will have to say I have my great new theory about the (laughs) Thagomizer, which I find delightful.
4: Uh, also, he had some more direct effects on science. In 1999, a new type of insect was named after him. It is a type of louse commonly found on owls, and it was named uh, Gary garylarsinii. Later, a species of butterfly found in Ecuador was named uh, Toad. Ceratod- so bad at these science names. Sarah Toterga Larsoni, as well as a beetle named the Gary Larsenus, just straight <laughs> up. In fact, this is how nerdy it gets. The head of the Museum of Comparative Biology at Harvard, Stephen Jay Gould wrote the uh, foreword for the Farside Gallery 3. In that he wrote about, and I know this to be true, just being in science departments and colleges, uh, how so many of his colleagues' doors were adorned with at least one far side panel. Uh, that had some relation to science. In fact, now that I think about it, many of... The desks of academia, like faculty desks of acad- academia, had some far side panel that related to their specific study, and there were so many of those, uh, especially in in the area of science. I one of my favorite. I forget the name of the fish. It's like ichthyologist or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that that's it's a fish study person. It's like Goldie Goldie's lucky night. Like <laughs> it was uh, these people on stage and a broken goldfish bowl and like a goldfish on the stage just laying like about to die. And there's three people standing up yeah, with their hands up being like, I too am an ichthyologist <laughs> or whatever. Like, he, which means they just asked the question. So you do is play there that, that th- game th- in th- your head. Th- is there an ichthyologist <laughs> in the house? Ha- I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering. The Honestly, of of uh, your delight is
3: infectious. I am like laughing <laughs> in my head.
4: It's so funny, man. Like that's so good. And only a big old nerd can handle it. So a nerd with like a really dark approach and it's all about the pure comedy. I mean, that is my, like, that's it. That's my, I love song right there that's perfect that's a perfect combination right there
3: there were other mentions of the far side in popular culture the simpsons would famously make jokes where uh, homer would pick up a gary larson's calendar and be like oh a gary larson calendar i don't get it i don't get it i don't get yeah. it <laughs> yeah i don't get it <laughs> there was a uh, gag from the sitcom cheers mm. where woody is looking at the newspaper and says man i don't get the far side at which point norm Grabs it from him and says, okay, well, see here, the cows are standing like people, but then a car drives by, and they're then they act like cows. And the joke is, is that, like, wouldn't it be funny if cows only act like cows when we're looking at them? And Woody looks at him and says, I meant my local newspaper doesn't get the far side, but thanks for treating me like a one-year-old.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Which leads me
4: to uh, a- Are we get talking about it? A are we comic get, is it published in time? October- <laughs>
3: Of 1982, one so bizarre, one so obtuse and indecipherable that its meme qualities
4: has extended into the modern era, and that is Cow Tools. Can we get a description, Jake, please? Can you put into words what's happening? According
3: to Wikipedia, Cow Tools is a single panel cartoon depicting a cow (laughs) standing on its hind legs at a table with a barn in the background. On the table are four objects, one of which resembles a crude handsaw, while the others are far more abstract. The caption simply reads cow tools. And I remember being stopped dead in my tracks, (laughs) on the toilet, as a child, just staring at these misshapen implements, just trying to figure out what the joke is, because one is like a rock that kind of looks like a baseball cap, another one is a similar just like oblong rock with like a dildonic uh, extension sticking out of it, another one is just a long stick and then another and the final one does indeed look like a full-sized handsaw. And the uh there's there's a lot mm-hmm. of things are, like so because there's one that does look like a handsaw, does that yeah, mean the that's, other ones that's the
4: real are supposed to look like other things and I just don't the recognize them? The handsaw is the <laughs> true <laughs> fucker. Fu- like fucker of, of it. In large degrees, he said, um, he said the first mistake i uh, I made was in thinking this was funny <laughs> the second was making one of the tools resemble a crude handsaw which made already confused people decide that their only hope in understanding the cartoon <laughs> meant deciphering what the other tools were as well of course they didn't have a chance in hell <laughs> and that is so the situation here because just if the one tool wasn't shaped like a handsaw you wouldn't look for further meaning yes it's such a bizarre like symbol of <laughs> like the absolute futility of trying to understand like the meaning of anything and the meaning of life. It's so, it's like just because that one thing throws you off your track to think that there's actually more going on. Larson also said the cartoon was intended to be an exercise in silliness. While I never met a cow who could make tools, I felt sure that if I did they, the tools, would lack something in sophistication and resemble the sorry specimens shown in this cartoon. I regret that my Fondness for cows combined with an overactive imagination may have carried me beyond what is comprehensible to the average far side reader.
3: The general manager for uh, Chronicle Syndicate claimed that his phone would not stop ringing for two days straight. And Larson (laughs) himself received hundreds of letters uh, demanding an explanation, including one from a reader in Texas who claimed that they had shown the cartoon to over 40 professionals with doctoral
4: degrees, (laughs) none of whom could make heads or tails of it. I love it. Its existence is so important. And 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 this is a great this is a good like little response. Uh, when later asked what the tools were by a Chicago Tribune reporter, Larson responded with, only the cow knows. I think also, I forgot to read this during our animal science corner, uh, So, I, uh, but I think it actually works here as well. Larson's favorite animal to draw is the cow. I particularly enjoy drawing cows. I'm not exactly sure why. They seem to be some kind of absurd, almost non sequitur animal to put into certain situations. I even find humor in the name. When I think of a certain situation in my mind and when I think of a cow being in the midst of it something happens to me and I find myself drawing and I think that's all to say that he just finds the pure vision of a cow standing up staring at the camera let's say staring at the viewer uh, I think he just finds that alone so funny that like that's how we got Cal Tools. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean. That's how we got the the existential, you know, <laughs> terror that is Cal Tools. The meme has uh, had peaked, and I'm, basically, what I'm trying to say is. Somehow
3: it even evolved into Gen Z and was a short-lived meme uh, around, I'd say, 2021, 2020. Uh, there are YouTube uh, musical interpretations. There are entire essays about interpreting the comic, as well as countless image macros and remixes where uh, Cow Tools has entered the kind of common vernacular of, um, of, of uh, meme culture. Uh, it's, it's genuinely like a bizarre, uh, here's one I found on knowyourmeme.com with a big titty Uh anime girl. That's, that's great. Hold on here. Here, look at this big titty anime girl dressed in a cow bikini in a recreation of the cow tools comic. (laughs)
4: Good times, good yeah. times. So what's this cow bikini thing? It's not to give too much away, but we have a cow bikini thing in uh, our show, but it's the We Fit Lady. What is Oops, that? milk, milk cows. Okay.
3: There, I it's did It's very it.
4: specific, too, but it's the cow arm sleeves and the bikini and the leg tights. It's just very That's specifically the same. That's just how titty
3: ladies dress in, ma- in anime times. Yeah.
4: <laughs> All right, I guess we'll do an episode on it so I can understand it better. Oh, the hentai
3: episode will be our last episode. <laughs> it will be our, fa- our grand finale.
4: Yeah, yeah, and then we're going to start Horny with the Boys. Okay, so our there you are. Porno- September 11, 2001. 2001.
3: <laughs> You're cranking it to hentai. <laughs>
4: Uh, at least one tower stayed up All (laughs) right, people what am I talking about here Um, what else do we have well we have a really nice like swan song situation going on currently this is kind of new I didn't even realize this was going on Um, but you know Gary Larson leaves and a funny thing happens when he does and by funny I mean horrible the internet is invented Larson notoriously fought hard to gain some level of ownership over his work, even online, and constantly was sending out those cease and desist letters. Finally, he got his own website up and running where he could sell merch, such as frame prints of the some of the best of panels uh, and uh, of his past, as well as the daily calendars. That's what's keeping him alive. And even special Gary Larson-branded sketchbooks. And then he finally actually started putting new stuff on the site uh, in a section he calls new stuff. Larson attributes this to the cog pin he'd have to wrestle with once a year in order to draw his family Christmas card. He wrote on his site, Once a year, I'd sit myself down to take on Santa, and every year it began with the same ritual, me cursing at and then cleaning out my clogged pen. Apparently, the concept of cleaning it before putting it away each year was just too elusive for me. As problems go, this is admittedly not exactly on the scale of global warming, but in uh, the small world of my studio, it was cataclysmic. Okay, highly annoying so a few years ago finally fed up with my once loyal but now reliably traitorous pen I decided to try a digital tablet I knew nothing about these devices but hoped it would just get me through my annual Christmas card ordeal I got one fired it up and lo and behold something totally unexpected happened within moments I was having fun drawing again Mm. I was stunned at all the tools the thing offered all the creative potential it contained I simply had no idea how far these things had evolved perhaps fittingly the first thing i tried. Was a caveman, <laughs> and so yeah, he's putting out some new Farside style panels on his website. Go check it out. Check out the merch site too; it's kind of cool. If you want to get like a really professional, nicely framed print of your favorite Farside panel, you might be able to find it there. And yeah, there's new, and it's kind of it's got a bit more of a painterly approach, a little more uh, more color. There's more going on because he's playing with his tablet and just having fun. And I kind of love how at first he fought against this. All these changes in technology. He's old school. He's that kind of dude. And now he's, like, fully embracing it. It's
3: really interesting because I found a website that used to run Old Farside Comics until they got a personal email from Gary Larson. And he has the letter still up. And uh, he goes into, like, you know... uh, These comics are like my children. You know, these were things that I worked on at great personal expense, and at and you know, I always considered it kind of like a risk laden thing. Um, And I like the idea that I'm in control of these. And if there's a comic I don't want to see the light of day anymore, I can just like get out, get rid of it in the reprints of the collections. Uh, But also, you know, with all the lovey dovey stuff, it's also the fact that his bread and butter was the fact that the only way you could read Farside Comics was by buying an officially licensed calendar or officially a reprint of one of his collections. So I feel like despite the fact that, you know, he didn't want to be a huge dick, he would always like send an email and like reach out to the website owners first before ever trying like a full lawyer attack. Um, You know, I think he was just protecting his bottom line because like, it's not like he was a young, hung upstart who needed the exposure. People like the far side, and the way you get the far side is by paying him and creating just a vast network of places where you can get it for free. I'm sure he was especially not happy about it. Yeah, that. yeah. But uh, he literally says, like, uh, what is this? Please send my kids, quote-unquote, kids home. I'll be internally grateful. Like, that's a little <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: So So, yeah, I got a few quotes to finish it out. I love the far side. Again, go get a collection or something. Go, I mean, if anything, just go online. Yeah, go to the fucking library, dude. Do that anyways, bro. Go to that thing. Get them books, bro. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Buy a calendar. The proceeds
3: uh, now go to animal rights charities. An animal oh, warfare wow. agency
4: for sure. I, I just want to wrap it up with a few quotes. I think Jane Goodall said it best when referring to oh. Farsight Comics and especially the effect that Farsight Comics has the Well, you know why Jane it- Goodall
3: had to make a statement about Gary Larson? Oh, uh, what, what what's that? Why is that? Oh, dude, this was I can't believe we didn't mention it during like the famous controversy segment. There's a Farsight cartoon where a, a gorilla is in a tree and the wife-coated gorilla uh, picks a hair off his back and is like, where'd this blonde hair come from? You've uh, been canoodling yeah, with that, that uh, Jane Goodall tramp again, haven't yes, you? Yes, I, I remember the that the Jane one. Goodall Foundation sent him a cease and desist for besmirching uh, the good name of the scientist Jane Goodall, uh, implying that she would fornicate with the gorilla's um, at which point uh, he had to answer like, no, 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 it's the the wife is overprotective. Clearly, that's not what happens. Like he had to explain himself. And Jane Goodall had to tell her organization to back down months later because she was in the middle of like a research trip to Africa and did not mm. even know that the comic strip had been published. And she said she liked it. Uh, especially because it was so popular amongst scientists.
4: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She, She said, it all helps to put us humans in our place, and we desperately need putting in our place. And I do think that that is a great perspective when it comes to a lot of the creature uh, based panels for sure. Um, got one last one from uh, re Jones far side. Never heard of it, but I do know about a stupid idiot and that stupid idiot's name's Holden or as I used to call him Holden, the big dumb idiot, man. I remember one time when his balls looked like fried eggs from a waffle house and his penis. So some sort of weathered garden hose. God, if there was a world record for hilariously mangled genitals, <laughs> his picture would be in there. What kind of world record book would that be? Some kind of (laughs) godforsaken horrible curse. Anyways, Reraw's out. Check out my Twitch stream, twitch.tv forward slash (laughs) RerawJ. Twitching every Monday and Friday. Check out my Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Reraw. Oh my god, you're still in
3: character. (laughs)
4: If you want weekly bonus content, uh, where I just breathe into a microphone, and a final one from Gary Larson himself, a jazz teacher once said to me about improvisation: "You want to try and take people somewhere where they might not have been before." I think about you. Ah, yeah, happens. The great late. I've been doing this a lot today. The late great Gary Larson said a jazz teacher once very alive. He might be dead. We don't. Maybe he died like an hour Whoa. ago. Okay. Well,
3: you know what? If he, you know what? Edit it in. <laughs> Keep the late great if Gary
4: Larson dies between this recording and the release of the episode. Gary Larson once said, a jazz teacher, I shouldn't say once said, Gary Larson said, a jazz teacher once said to me about improvisation, you want to try and take people somewhere where they might not have been before. I think that my approach to cartooning was similar. I'm just not sure if even I knew where I was going, but I was having fun. Nice. Hey, head! What the fuck? Drink her to <laughs> She's quick and nimble. When she needs to be, she can go through
3: not even- we even talk, I even- Thanks everybody for
4: joining us! We talk-, talk I gave you an opening whisper whisper when we about gorillas having sex with James Goodall. No, I, no stop through through the plus! Friday stop breaks. the plus right now! It's very you had your time. opening! You had it, can and guys, you, let you let it, 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 it pass! This, pass. At this is irredeemable!
3: No, no, we're not getting- no! April, unhit it! Delete it! Go back in time and- erase that! Fuck! Follow me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung. Uh, i really got to reiterate, you got to go to that Patreon, patreon.com forward slash It is the number one way we keep the lights on here. Uh, you get so much bonus content, weekly bonus episodes, including every single weekly bonus episode that we've ever put out. I'm talking about the year that was serious. I'm talking about Tearless. I'm talking about The Wizard and the Newser, our bi-monthly news recap show. It is a goddamn blast. It is a treasure trove. Of goddamn content, and it is all yours for just $5. Do we a month. Do even mention ad
4: free episodes. Ad free episodes, bros. Get it, dude. Yeah, it's you just so take good.
3: the RSS link, plug it into your podcast app, and boom, ad free episodes forever. It's done, dude. Get it. All right. Anyhow, Puppet Jared, youtube.com, <laughs> uh, twitch.tv, all slash Puppet Jared. Uh, uh, the Thursday Cartoon Dumpster, the flagship stream. We watch weird old bad cartoons, and it's a hell of a good time.
4: And always remember never stop whizzing. And keep on bruising. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
0: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio...